Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Intimacy. Uh, what, uh, what exactly are we going to talk about in a seminar like this? I mean, we're going to talk about sex, right? I mean, we're not, you're not going to talk for five seminars on marriage and, and at some point not address uh, the subject of sex. Uh, but, but affection. I mean, you're also going to talk about you know, some of those physical activities uh, that contribute to excitement and arousal and that kind of stuff, they're not sex, they're not intercourse, but, but we're, we're going to talk about some of that too, right? Um, and affirming words. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of nice, non-touching things that we're supposed to be doing. I mean, this, this seminar is not going to be so male that, that just because you're a guy up there talking, all we're going to talk about is sex, right? Uh, and romance. I mean, there's just, there, there, beyond just the things that we do, there's the, a culture that we want to create of, uh, of closeness and appreciation and affection that, that, you know, like anything with culture, you can't quite reduce it to a set of activities. Uh, but it's important. Um, and, and weekly date nights. I mean, there's stuff like that that's just good marital hygiene. I mean, in the same way that we're supposed to, you know, brush our teeth twice a day and take a shower and wear deodorant. I mean, there are things that we're supposed to do that are just good marital hygiene. We're supposed to go on a weekly date and we're supposed to have so many words of affirmation and that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we got to talk about that. And, and talking about our feelings. There's, you know, romance is, involves feeling close, not just being close. And we, we have to explore those things too. And... And what about vulnerability? I mean, that word's even more confusing than intimacy, so I'm not, I'm not even going to try to uh, define that one. Uh, but as we go through that, one of the things that we quickly realize uh, is that intimacy, uh, it can be a hard word to define. Uh, and we'll, we'll see that um, we can't create something that we can't define. And so we need to be able to define what we're talking about. Because this is not an area where we can just agree to disagree. Um, you know, if you agree to disagree, um, there's a phrase that we use to describe that. That's called living like roommates. Uh, when a marital couple agree to disagree on what romance and intimacy is within marriage, uh, that's not good. And so for this seminar, uh, we're going to use the word intimacy to capture the full breadth of romantic activities shared by a husband and wife. Everything from encouragement, flirting, serving, hand-holding, to romantic getaways, long love letters, and gourmet sacks. Uh, Everything that involves maintaining a deep sense of enjoyment for one another. But we realize, it's kind of awkward. I mean, he just said gourmet sacks. Uh, I mean, he said that in a church, and that was... uh, you know, okay, we're talking about intimacy. I guess we've got to go there. Um, but it makes sense that this would be awkward. 
Because this isn't a conversation that you're having with anybody else. And so this is a conversation that is just being had most of the time in most of the areas that we're going to talk about just between a husband and wife. And so instead of the awkwardness being a point of insecurity, something that makes us feel like we're failing or not doing it right, it should actually be a point of honor and endearment. I'm exploring an area of life with you that I would not explore with anybody else. And yes, it's new. And yes, it's different. But you're welcome here. And we'll do this together. And in light of that, we see it takes a mature man and a mature woman to have a romantic and intimate marriage. We have to be willing to have conversations without just giving to snickering as a way to avoiding certain subjects that are uncomfortable. We have to be willing to put ourselves into words in a way that we don't share what we enjoy, what we would like, what we're thinking with anyone else. And so, we begin to ask, where are we going to begin this journey? And we're going to begin by talking about some of the challenges that come with having a romantic and intimate marriage. Now you may say, why do we start with challenges? That seems really kind of negative, and this is supposed to be a positive seminar. Uh, and I begin with challenges, like we do in each of these gospel Center marriage seminars, because how we already think impairs how we should think. The ideas that we already have about how things should be, they get in the way oftentimes of really how they should be. And as we hear this, some of the things that you'll hear, you should just be affirmed. You can laugh and look at one another and say, we remember when we learned that, and yeah, we learned it the hard way, and there's a story to go with it. And that's endearing between the two of you. There may be some points where you're learning, you're going, yeah, that, that captures it. That's what's getting in the way for us. And I can see it different. I'm not quite sure what to do, but I'm sure he's going to tell us that in a minute. But that helps me see where what we're currently doing uh, is getting in our way. And so we start by asking the question, what makes intimacy difficult? And Tim Keller helps us explore that. He says it's possible to feel that you're madly in love with someone when it is really just an attraction to someone who can meet your needs and address the insecurities and doubt you have about yourself. In that kind of relationship, you will demand and control rather than serve and give. And oftentimes what we realize is that we're not really loving a person. Not the person that God brought, us in, brought into our life. We're loving an ideal we're loving what they could be if they just let us make out of them what we wanted them. Uh, and, and marriage is with a real person. And in our culture, we have a culture that idolizes youth. You know, in our culture, in effect, between the ages of 18 and 23 are the pinnacle of life, and the rest of it's just downhill. Which is kind of a sad depiction of life. But we don't just idolize youth. We idolize, idolize the young stages of a relationship. We idolize dating and courtship over the years of knowing 
each other to the point that we can complete each other's every sentence. And so we have to learn what is precious and valuable about enduring love or we will never create marriage as God intended, which is the only kind of marriage that can really be satisfying and sustaining over a lifetime. You know, Keller talks about being madly in love. Uh, And one of the challenges uh, is that being madly in love takes a lot of energy. It's exhausting. I mean, just for a moment, to be playful, think about what it would be like to be madly in love for 50 years. You couldn't do it. The adrenaline rush that you would live under would collapse your immune system. The blood pressure that you would live with would give you a heart attack. The distractibility that you would face would cause you to neglect your kids and get fired from your job. You couldn't live madly in love for 50 years. But yet, that's kind of what we want. We want to treat love like a drug. Where we got to get more and more to get the same effect. And what we need to learn is what it means to have a love that can endure over a lifetime. And we begin to see that romance is much more about intentionality and engagement. It's about pursuing and getting to know someone than it is about these grandiose epic moments. I'm not against epic moments. I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. I love all of that stuff. But my marriage isn't going to be built on those. It's going to be built on the day-to-day intimacies of marriage. You know, another thing that makes marriage hard is that good intimacy is highly subjective. And it varies from person to person. In that sense, it's kind of like music. Um... You know, most of us like different kinds of music. And even if we like the same kind of music, even if we like the same song, we can like it for different reasons. Some of us will like a song because of the rhythm and the beat. Some of us will like it for the words. Some of us will like it because of the, the story that's behind it and what inspired it to be written. Some of, it will, some of us will like it because of the journey that the songwriter has been on, and we know that, and it just gives meaning to it, and it's the same song. You know, with what we enjoy um, that makes love satisfying to us, it's going to be different. And even if we enjoy the same thing, spending time together or touch, we can enjoy it for different reasons. So in that sense, love can be defined you know, I can say, it is unloving for you to do this. You know, we can go through and we can define love and say, this is loving and this is not. But love can never be tamed. I can't say, if I do this, you should feel that. And we really want that. We, you know, just, we want to know, if I do this, it's going to create that result. And somehow, we want love to be like a computer program. And so oftentimes we come to a presentation like this and there's a heavy emphasis on gender differences or on personality types or on love languages. And we'll talk about some of those things. But my encouragement to you is to realize you're not getting to know a gender. My wife loves to 
refurbish old furniture. She owns more tools than I do and knows much more what to do with them. Uh, that doesn't fit a gender stereotype. I'm a counselor for goodness sakes. I'm a guy. What I do all day long is listen to people talk about their problems. What guy does that? Uh, it, not getting to know a gender. Not getting to know a personality type. Not getting to know a love language. I'm getting to know a person. And if those things help me get to know the individual that God has blessed me with, great. But I'm not trying to figure out what an introvert likes and dislikes. Or an extrovert. I want to know Sally. Now, um, another piece here. And this gets into some of the, the awkwardness that we face. Love seduces you in a way that honors you. And sometimes we can't even get past that point without feeling like there is a contradiction. That to deduce, it almost, it sounds icky, it sounds dirty. But love wins you. It compels you. It draws you out. It captures your attention. It won't let go of you in a way that honors you. And does not turn you into an object of auto-erotic satisfaction. And again, that can be male or female. For guys, it doesn't turn your wife into some image that belongs on a magazine. For women, it doesn't turn your husband into some character from a movie as somehow he's supposed to live out that script. Love honors you without turning you into that kind of story type. Uh, Doug Rosenau, he's talking about sex, but I think it applies to romance more broadly. He says, adults forget how to frolic, how to tickle. How to squeal with delight. Lovemaking can include much lighthearted laughter and simple fun. Play may be more necessary than passion sometimes. And one of the first things that we see from that in terms of challenges is that sex is hard to talk about, and so is romance, but it requires communication. You know, that's awkward, that kind of conversation where we would talk about those kinds of things. But if we don't talk about it, we're never going to learn what it is uh, that we enjoy and get out of marriage and romance and intimacy what God gave them to us for. And I think one of the biggest benefits that I hope that you can get from this presentation probably won't be the content. It will be an example of how to begin to have these conversations. That the verbal presentation would just give you an example of what does it sound like to talk about romance and intimacy and sex in a way that isn't filled with a bunch of middle school humor innuendo that's wholesome and honoring. That even if you don't totally like the words that I use or it feels uncomfortable, it gives you a point to say, I could ask, what did you think about that and how would we say that? That's what I hope that you get. And from the written material, uh, it's, it's throughout it is all kinds of communication prompts. With the 20 challenges, for every one of them, I give you at least three conversations that you can go through. Not because I expect you to have 60 conversations. That would be way more OCD than I really am. But because whatever those three or four or five that resonate with you, that you go, that sounds like us. That you could go and look and with a neutral prompt, 
Say, what kind of conversation would He want us to have? That we're not starting the conversation out of some point of difference and we're both kind of at odds with one another before we begin, but we can come with a neutral prompt. And say, how do we talk about this? And another thing that we see here in terms of challenges is that romance and intimacy are childlike. They're playful. When we're being romantic and intimate, we are not dignified adults. We're willing to vie for attention. We have this disposition that just, do it again, do it again, I want to do it again. We're willing to ignore what what everybody else is thinking or saying just because we're totally giving ourselves to this person. And that childlike freedom is what makes romance and sex fun. And some of you, you would say that that just feels silly to me and that's why I avoid it. I won't argue with you. I'll say it is. But I think God designed romance and sex to be a time when humility would be fun. We're a childlike faith and a childlike relationship, even as adults, that we could give ourselves to that and experience the kind of blessing the kind of enjoyment and freedom that He wanted those experiences to be. Another challenge is brought to us by Will Smith. Uh, Not the actor, but the author. Um, He says, It is so easy for me to drift back into believing that I am the center of gravity for all of my relationships, including the vertical one that I have with God. And nothing squashes rejoicing like this misbelief. And the challenge that I would draw out here is just that we tend to be most self-centered with the things we enjoy most. The more pleasure something gives me, the more I tend to think in terms of my experience and preferences for it. Which makes love and marriage and sex Kind of one of those prime areas where we have to battle that temptation. And what we realize is that principle of Luke 9.24 is just in bold relief right here. That if we seek to save our life, we'll lose it. If we make romance and intimacy just about what we like and it has to go our way just according to our preferences and we ignore the things that are important to our spouse in doing that, it just won't ever be what it is in our imagination. And we will get so frustrated. But if we're willing to lose our life for His sake and the Gospel, and we are truly other-minded out of a sense that that our abiding satisfaction in Christ, and that frees me to think about what my spouse would enjoy most, when I can be selfless with life's most intense pleasures, they don't dwindle. They multiply. Uh, David Pallison, in his book on romantic, uh, on renewing marital intimacy, he gives us insight into a couple of other challenges. He says, when you think about it, you'll notice the way you treat your spouse reflects the way that you treat God. The same things that cause distance in your relationship with God cause distance in your relationships with your spouse. And I think that's really true. One of the things that I appreciate that our pastor J.D. draws out so often is that most people don't reject God for theological reasons. They reject God 
for personal reasons, for painful reasons, for emotional reasons. These things happen to me, and how can there be a good God who really loves me if these things happen? And one of the challenges that we face in romantic love and marriage is that bad experiences make it harder for us to love. Pain makes us cautious. Sometimes it's the the bad choices that we've made. Things that we've done to hurt our spouse or things that we did before we were married that cause us to think, I just don't deserve the kind of marriage that God would give me. And to that, I would say, Jesus, His forgiveness, it frees you. And I would go so far, even more than it frees you, I would say it commands you to enjoy the marriage that He has given you. That He doesn't want you living in shame. He would say, I forgave you. Enjoy the marriage that I gave you. But for some of us, it's not the bad choices we've made. It's not the bad things we've done. It's the bad things that have happened to us. It's the verbal abuse that makes normal conflict in a marriage feel threatening. Or the emotional abuse that makes normal persuasion feel manipulative. Or sexual abuse that makes normal marital intimacies feel unsafe or dirty or call up unpleasant memories. And for those kinds of things, uh, that's why we put Appendix B uh, in this seminar, is that whether it, it walks through the common challenges to enjoying uh, marital intimacy, both in terms of the things that we've done that may harm that and the things that have happened to us, uh, that gives you resources, whether it be video seminars like this or books or, or counseling services that can be available to help guide and direct you so that those things do not have to uh, interfere with enjoying the romantic marriage that God has for you. But sometimes it's pain that interferes with our relationship with God and others. And sometimes it's just boredom and mundaneness. I mean, we come to, we, we come to church and we hear the great stories of Scripture and creation, fall, redemption, glorification, how God is moving all of history in a direction. We sing and we celebrate and we move by it. And we go home. And we get junk mail. And we eat leftovers. And we say, honey, how was your day? And there isn't that much to tell that was different from the day before. Um, and it... And we think of marriage as this quintessential, paramount relationship experience. And then there's a rather disturbing statistic that may surprise you. We will live 29% of our marriage on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we'll live another 29% of our marriage on Monday and Wednesdays. On just kind of normal days. Not weekends. Where we wake up before we want to. We go to work. We work hard all day. We come home. We're exhausted. We're trying to give ourselves the conversation. We try to get the kids to bed. And it just doesn't feel like the romantic happily ever after. Um, 
And a big part of enjoying a romantic marriage is figuring out what that healthy normal, how to create it and protect it and enjoy it and see it as the thing that is really good. Uh, Doug Rosenau points out a, another challenge. He says, I've never met a parent who could truly understand how much kids affect a sex life until they are into the experience. From the fatigue of early infancy to the demands of an active toddler to the interruption of elementary days to the late nights of a teenager, parents must deal with the confusing variables that children present in their lovemaking. And I hear this and it just it forces me to think you know, that in the commercials we see on television for, uh, say, Viagra and that kind of things, there's never any kids in those commercials. There's just not. I mean, you got the Viagra man, he's driving down the road after dark in a convertible. There's no kids in the back seat who haven't had supper, uh, who are freaking out. They've got homework to do before the next morning. You know, you got the guy, he's on the beach, uh, his lighter doesn't work. Um, you know, there's no kids who have got sand in their eye, who are chasing one or now, brothers' heads in the fire. I mean, none of that. I just think we ought to raise the level of challenge. For the Viagra man. Just saying. It, and if, yeah, I've heard it said this way. Sex makes little kids, and little kids make little sex. Um, and if we're not careful and intentional, that's true. And especially for young couples, who when they begin having kids, they're just figuring out what it means to be husband and wife. They're in a new season of life and what are these roles of husband and wife and decision making and all of a sudden we're just figuring out how to manage our time and make each other a priority and now we've got to make this new little one a priority. Just a quick word of encouragement there. Uh, one, put the kids to bed on time. It's one of the best things you can do for your marriage. But outside of that, uh, to think about marriage and parenting as if they were two separate things is a misnomer. It's a false division. My opinion, the best thing that you can do for your kids is to love your spouse well. Give them a home where there is the security of a mom and dad who model affection, trust, devotion. That is the best gift you can give your children. They will be glad they did less extracurricular activities that gave you time to be a family and to care for one another if they see a mom and dad that they can look to and say, I want a relationship like that. And so don't, in some ways, this seminar could be the beginning of a parenting seminar. Uh, one final quote in this section uh, Tim Keller. He says, Unless your marital relationship is in good condition, Sex doesn't work. Um, and so, translating that here, chapters 4 and 5 of this presentation won't work without chapters 1, 2, and 3. More than that, uh, this seminar on intimacy won't work without foundations, communication, finances, decision making. What I love about Doug Rosenau, who in my opinion is one of the foremost Christian experts in the area of sex, uh, in his book, he says one of the best things you can do for your sex life is to make a budget. 
Because when, when you got a budget and you stop having money fights, you're going to enjoy each other a whole lot more. He's right. Um, now, if at this point you're starting to get overwhelmed and say, wait a second, you only covered like eight of the 20 challenges that's in that larger notebook that you keep talking about. A couple of words of encouragement there. Uh, one, uh, what that means is this seminar is for you. If what you've heard, you go, that sounds like us, we face things like that. Uh, that means the stuff that we're going to be talking about addresses a marriage like yours and for that matter like mine. It also means that God's not surprised. He's not panicked. He's not freaking out. Because He knows in the Gospel, He gave us both the example and the power to do the things that we need to do to have a wonderfully romantic and intimate marriage. If I could give you a theme verse for this seminar and for all the rest in the Gospel Center Marriage Seminar, it would be 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. Uh, we don't create an intimate marriage by being a type A person who makes a long list of all the things that I need to do. An intimate marriage is not achieved. It's enjoyed. Um, we, I would say it this way, we receive by faith what we could not do so that we can give that by grace to our spouse. And when we try to live out and give to our spouse what we have not received by grace through the love that He gave us first, that's going to dry up and be found wanting very quickly. 